Um, like I said, my name is Wayne. I'm from Corbin, Kentucky. Um, all of my family lives within 15 minutes of me. Okay, so I'm the only person no longer in Corbin or in the Tri-County area. And so growing up, all of my family hung out every single week. We did everything together. We went to school together. We went to church together. We were always around each other, which in some ways is incredible. In other ways, it's not so great. But as I'm sure most of you know, anytime you have lots of family together, there's some stories that come up over and over and over again. And so my aunt and uncle, uh, my mom has two siblings, and their favorite story to tell about her is always this one. So my uh, papa, before he passed away, would take them every Friday, and they would get a pack of gum, and each of them would do different things. So my uncle, uh, he was the youngest brother, he would crush that pack of gum in one night. So by Friday night, it was all gone. My aunt was a little more uh, concerned with making hers last. So she would make it to maybe Sunday, right? So maybe through the weekend, she could enjoy it. But my mom was meticulous, okay? My mom would save all of her gum. She wouldn't chew any of it. And on Monday, she would start selling it back to my aunt and uncle. And so she would end up with everyone's allowance money because she would just be patient, wait them out, and then see this as a great business opportunity. So she would take advantage of her siblings and raid all of their allowance money. And so the, the thing that they learned very quickly was, one, Alicia's got it out for us, but two, she's going to be an accountant. And she is. So they always got that part right. They knew what was going on, and they continued to be taken advantage of every week because they could just not say no to their gut. <clears throat> and so this is, a, this is a funny story about some children, but really, it has a lot to say to us as adults as well, right? We have a lot more in common with my aunts and uncle and my mom than we even consider many times. And so tonight, today's passage um, is a really fun one. It's a warning. And so um, as you can guess, we're going to be talking a lot about things that could go wrong. And so we're going to read this together. This is James 5, 1 through 6. We've been in James for the last several months. Um, we're closing in on the end of James. And so today we're going to read this together. It says this. It says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter." You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Um, even when it is um, harsh, Lord, even when it um, can bring condemnation to us because um, we confess we are so similar to these people in this passage. I pray that you would give us this warning and love today that um, you would stir our hearts and our affections for you even as we reveal um, different idols and struggles in our life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, speaking of gum, have you ever left your gum in your car, especially when it's really hot outside or when it's really cold? I see some nods. Some of you know exactly where I'm going. So I do this all the time. Um, I always try to think ahead. I just leave a pack of gum in my car because I know I'm going to want it on my way to, to church or on my way to campus or whatever it may be. But what I've learned is just like the people in this story, Whenever you leave gum outside in your car and it gets really hot, it gets all sticky, right? It sticks to the, the package, you can't get it out, or it just doesn't taste very good. Same thing's true when it's cold, 
right? If you ever had frozen gum, you know it's really hard to get any good flavor out of that thing. And so not only do you waste your gum, but it actually has now become uh, something that's counted against you, right? Like you paid for this gum and now not only does it not taste very good, it actually is like you lost a lot of value. Well, the same thing's going on here in our story today in our first three verses. What you see is that it turns out our treasures are a lot more like gum than maybe even we think. James warns us of this truth here in the first verse. He says this, he says, Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. For your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your silver and your gold are corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. And so just like that gum you left in your car, these treasures which you have stored up for yourself have decayed. They've lost their value. And hoarding them up for yourself, what we found is you had so much that you could never actually use them for what they were meant to be used for. And so they're destroyed by the elements. And it was not only costly, it was actually wasteful. So now you've stepped over the threshold from saving wisely into hoarding for your sinful passions. You could have used that money for anything else, right? The money these people had, they used to store up things for themselves, and they could have used it for buying other things they wanted, things that weren't going to go to waste. They could have given it away. They could have invested in something worthwhile. They could have literally done anything else, and that money wouldn't have been wasted. It wouldn't have been corroded. It wouldn't have been moth-eaten. And so the same thing is true for us. Because we try to store up more and more for our own gain, it eventually becomes costly to us instead. Tim Keller is a guy that um, has shaped me in a lot of ways. Um, sadly, he passed away earlier this year, but he famously coined this idea of root idols, at least in my life. Someone else, he may have stolen from someone else, but that's who I've gotten this from. And he says that really all of our idols come back to one of four things. We have these deep heart-level idols that we search for all of our life and hope in. He says they are control, power, approval, and comfort. And so he says that we use all these other things. There may be other idols like money, but really what we want from those other idols, those other opportunities, other good things, is one of these four things. We either want comfort or power or approval or comfort, sorry, or control. And so we use things like money to get our deepest desires. And James says here that what these people have done is they've chosen, chosen to store up money, clothes, and valuable things, many of which they're never going to use in order to get one of these four deeper desires. For me, it's typically control. That's what I see the most in my own life. I try to find ways to insulate myself from things that could go wrong in my life or in my world, right? And so, for example, this week, uh, I played an interval football game because I'm old and get broken down. I uh, left saying, I think I tore my ACL. Like, I can't move. I can't walk. I couldn't drive my car home. Like, all these problems with my knee, but because I'm so frugal, I'm so cheap, I wouldn't go to the doctor. Right? So I took pain medicine, I iced it, I laid on the ground, I cried, complained, all these things. But because I knew, man, it's going to cost me some money to go to the doctor, I just set it out. Praise the Lord, he had grace on me and it's been healed, but I did not tear my ACL. <laughs> but my problem was, I wanted to protect all my assets so that if something else went wrong, I could fix it. Right? $100 to me may not be $100 to you, but to me it's a lot. Right? And so the idea of putting my own body at risk of letting myself sit in pain was more valuable to me than spending that money to make sure my health was okay. okay? There's a problem there. Okay? We can laugh, but there's a problem there, right? 
I'm valuing this idol, this thing of comfort, this money over even my own body that God has blessed me with. For other people, it may be your closet. You may have a closet full of clothes stored up. Some of the tags even still on those clothes that you're saving to wear for the perfect time, right? You think, man, I'm, I'm going to have this event come up. I got to have a nice dress or I got to have a nice suit. I got to have this thing. So I'm going to save it. Even though I've never actually worn this thing, I can't give it away. I can't resell it. I can't do anything with it because I might need it, right? We want to have that thing to impress when the day comes. For others, it can be your net worth, right? We're all about that net worth here. We want to make sure that we are the most wealthy or most powerful person in the room. And so we have to raise and save up money and have all these things to prove that we are the ones in control. When we step in a room, we have the power. And so no matter what um, our idol is, all of our idols are revealed by the way we think about and the way we use our money. And so when James comes for money and warns the rich today, that's why he cares so much about it. Because we can hoard it, we can save it up, we can use it for so many things, but all of those things at the end of the day are going to reveal what we really love, what the deepest desire of our heart really is. And so what we hoard and why we hoard it always comes back to how we search in the world for things to fulfill us. And these things will always fall short. Every single time they're going to let you down. If you haven't experienced that yet, I'm sure soon on the horizon you will. The things that you have saved up, the things you have hoarded, the things that you think, man, if I just have more of this, then I'll be happy. They eventually always let you down. And so we forget. We forget the God who made the universe, the God who owns everything in it. Instead, we seek after the riches of the world like they're going to be enough to bring us ultimate joy. And as we all know, we've all experienced, it's never going to be enough. And it doesn't matter how much we get. Right? We always think, if I just had this amount, if I just had this thing, then it would be enough to satisfy. If I could just climb to this social status, if I could just have more than this person even, then I'd feel like I've made it. And so we never have enough to satisfy our souls. And I think, I'm convinced, that the reason why is because we've settled. We've settled for earthly riches that will never satisfy us when the ultimate riches of all of heaven are offered to us by the one who made everything that we use to look for our hope in. And so the, the author is really, really clear. Um, not only do we hoard things, but we also can use other people. We can be dishonest with how we do, um, how we find our riches, how we find these gifts. And so often we, we don't really believe all the things we're talking about today, right? But we see clearly how broken our hearts are, how much we do search for those things, and all the things we're willing to give up to have whatever we deem this most valuable thing, right? Like I was willing to sacrifice my body to save $100, right? Like I was, I was good to risk walking around on my knee if it actually was broken and messed up and have lasting side effects maybe for the rest of my life to save $100, right? If that doesn't tell you what my idol is, nothing else will. And so we take advantage of all sorts of different opportunities, right? It may not be that we hoard things. It may be that we use others to make a profit. And so we take advantage of the people who work for us. We might lie, we might cheat, we might steal, just to have a little bit more. And so when you hear this from James in verse 4, listen to his conviction. He says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. See, these landowners have allowed their workers to work and labor all day. These poor workers who work day in, day out in order to feed their family, they get paid usually each day. They have neglected them for their own profits, their own riches. 
And so now they put these people in a place where they're actively keeping them from even feeding their families. And so just as God heard the cry of Abel's blood when, from the ground when he's murdered by his brother Cain, God says that he hears the cry of these poor workers. And that's a good thing, right? At first, we should rejoice. We should rejoice that our God cares about the poor. He cares about people who are taken advantage of. And he's going to judge with equity. That's what the Bible says over and over again, is that he protects his people, that he is going to judge the world with equity, which is a really good thing. But it's worth considering, who are we in this one? It might be that we are the, the righteous, poor laborers. But it also could be true that we are the landowners who are holding back the wages that they have earned. And so think about this. Have we ever used backhanded methods to take advantage of others for our own profit? If you own a business, if you manage a team, or you have people that work under you, how are you caring, with, caring for them? Do you value people over production? Are the people that work for you more important than what they can give you? Are they worth more than the money they bring in? Are the folks who work for you happy that you're their boss? Think about how much happier someone should be to work for a Christian, right? Someone who is marked by empathy, compassion, care, integrity, honor, grace. Those kinds of people are who we're called to be as Christians. And so if the people that work for us, the people that work under us, people that work with us don't feel that way, it actually reveals a lot more about us than it even does our faith. Because if we really understood the gospel, if we've really been moved by a God who treats us this way, it should affect everyone else that we interact with. And so if God sees fit to entrust to you the care of his image bearers, then we have something to answer for when we stand before God one day. If he has entrusted us his most valuable riches of all, his children, then we need to take that call very seriously. And you better believe that when the Lord of hosts, is what he's called here, literally the Lord of armies, the armies of angels, if he says he's heard the cry of the harvesters, he intends to do something about it. And so we would be very wise not to forego this warning. And so the third way that we see in this passage that he gives a warning is to those who indulge in their riches. So back at verse 5, he says this. He says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fatted your hearts in a day of slaughter. And so thinking back to the story of my mom and all this bubble gum, it would be really easy to blame her for taking advantage of her brother and sister, right? We look at that story and we see, okay, mom, you probably did something wrong here, right? Like, these are your brothers and sisters. You are supposed to care for them. You should love them. You shouldn't take all their allowance money for gum when you were given it as a gift, right? But the same argument can also be made for my aunt and uncle, right? They indulged, they lived this life of luxury for one weekend with this gum that was given to them as a gift, right? And so not only did they give this gift for free, it didn't cost them anything. It cost my grandfather something, but it was all to be enjoyed. And so they could not wait. They couldn't be patient. They couldn't ration out their gum, right? They had to have it right now, and they wanted to enjoy it all right now. And so when you think about it, they were living in luxury too. They had lived in a place where all they did was consume. They didn't have to add anything, any value. They didn't have to give anything away. All they did was consume. And so in my mother's defense, they were sinners too, right? Like she's a sinner. They were too. Everyone was wrong. We can all repent together. But the heart of this warning is this, is that while this, the rich sit back 
and get fat and happy. What they're actually doing is preparing their hearts for a day of slaughter. And so they are becoming like the livestock that you see on a farm, right? The, the job of a farmer is to raise animals that will one day become food for the animals at the top of the food chain, right? Us. And so in that day, it'll be a really, really good thing to be counted as one of the, the thin cows or one of the sick cows, one of those that aren't really ready for harvesting. It's a really bad day to be the fatty calf, right? The one who has feasted on luxury, who's been taken care of, who's been given everything, on the day of slaughter, that's who the farmer comes for. And so what James says we're doing when we amass wealth for ourselves, these outstanding luxuries, is that we're actually preparing our hearts to meet the Lord as fattened cows. We can so often forget that all of our self-indulgences are making us into something, right? They're doing something to us. They're shaping us, discipling us in ways that we don't really expect. It's not wrong to have nice things. It's not sinful to be rich, but it's a whole lot safer to be poor. When's the last time you saw a poor, poor person living in luxury, right? College students that are here, right? You know, I ain't got it like that, right? Like you're making it day at a time, eating in the cafeteria, eating ramen noodles, eating the free meals all these campus staff take you to because you're hungry and you don't want to pay for it, right? You got the system figured out. But that's true across the board, right? When you are living in a place where you can't afford luxuries, guess what? You can't live a luxurious life. They can't be an idol when you can't have them. And so it's really hard to get caught up in luxuries that are not available to you. It takes a lot more wisdom and character to have a lot and still walk faithfully with the Lord. So we need help. And thankfully, God's given us wisdom in His Word. Hear this verse from 1 Timothy 6. He says, As far as... As for the riches in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And so how do we fight with ease, fight the ease with which we fall back into self-indulgence? Well, he tells us here, Paul tells us really clearly, we do good. We're to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share. Instead of storing up treasures on earth, which will pass away, which will corrode, which will be eaten by moss, we are to store up what is truly life. Knowing God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy using our money to serve, to love others, those in need. Because if every good gift is from God, then we're called to enjoy it. But if all we ever do is enjoy it, we've really missed the calling of being a Christian. God, who is abundantly rich, became poor so that we might become rich. We already preached this today. He has called us into the same way of life to humble ourselves, to exalt Him and to exalt others. And so if you want a really clear picture of what this can look like, to take these warnings seriously, here's another great Tim Keller Zinger. He says, the richer you get, the greater the distance should grow between how you could live and how you choose to live. Think about that. The distance between how you can live with all the riches you have, that you've personally been blessed with, and how you choose to live, the place with which you choose to set your standards instead. It'd be like this. 
Um, I saw the example that if you were a doctor and instead you lived like a nurse, you lived like your paycheck wasn't a doctor's paycheck, but it was a nurse's paycheck, and you gave away the difference, or you used it to serve others. Or it would be like if we spent like we were an NBA player, and instead of doing that, we chose, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend like I'm in the G League. Right? Like I got all this money, but I'm going to spend like I don't. Ladies, I know you're like, what are you talking about here? Think about if you were Taylor Swift, but instead of having all the things Taylor Swift's got, you lived like one of her backup dancers. Right? Like that's what we're talking about here. The gap between how you could live and how you choose to live will reveal exactly how much you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, we don't search for luxuries to give us joy, to give us our worth. Instead, we can find it in our internal inheritance, which is already incomparably greater in this life and in the life to come because of what God has done on our behalf. Okay, one last warning. By way of application, what happens if we ignore these warnings? Right? So if you heard all the things God's Word has to say, say to you today, and we just ignored it, went on living the way we want to live, contrary to this, what would happen? What would it look like? Well, verse 6 tells us, um, I like the NIV better. I think they get a good understanding on this verse. It says, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. So who is this innocent one? Who is he talking about here? Well, it's the only innocent one to ever live. Our man, Jesus Christ. Here, here it is in Matthew. Matthew in his gospel says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so this innocent man, Jesus, has come to tell us, I'm here to lay down everything, even my own life, so that you can have these riches that are far better than what the world has to offer. And many people came to Jesus exactly because of that. Others ran away because of the same thing. And so here's a perfect example from Jesus' last days. As his last days as a free man, we see in stunning clarity what Jesus meant. There's a scene um, in the Gospels where Jesus is with his, with his disciples. He's declining at table. So he's sitting down sharing a meal with all these Pharisees, right? So <clears throat> the religious rulers, the people that had it all together, that looked like their life was on par with Jesus's. He's at dinner with them, and in walks this woman. We don't even get her name, but we know that she's a woman who's looked down upon, who was living a life very different than these religious rulers. And she walks in, and she pours out her family heirloom of precious perfume on Jesus' feet, of all things. She anoints Jesus' feet with her tears and this perfume and uses her hair to wash his feet. And while this is happening, guess who's sitting next to Jesus? Judas. And so while the disciples are really confused and these religious rulers are really angry, right? They're shocked, they're upset, they can't believe what's going on. Judas is absolutely seething. When you read the gospel accounts, this is the event that made Judas so mad that he simply couldn't handle being around Jesus anymore. He watches this happen and then immediately gets up and leaves to go sell out his boy Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Judas simply cannot watch this woman throw away so much money on Jesus without revealing what his true master had really become, his money. And so, friends, don't miss this warning. Don't be like Judas, walking with him for his entire ministry, only to turn on him at the end, because another idol had crept in and become more important than Jesus. Don't hoard it. 
Don't use others to get that money. Don't live in self-indulgence. Instead, look to Jesus, who though he had all the riches of heaven, left those to come down to set us free from the idols that so easily enslave us and to give us instead the inheritance unfading, undefiled, waiting in heaven for you and I. How much greater is that treasure that cost us nothing and yet cost him everything? Let's pray. Father God, we do confess that so often, um, even when we don't feel rich, we treat money and people and things like they are going to fulfill us. Lord, we confess that we are rich, that we are the wealthiest country in the world, that many of us live uh, abundant lives uh, that we take for granted. And Lord, I pray that you would use your passage today, you would stir in our affections and our heart just how valuable what you have offered us in your inheritance and yourself really is, that it really is worth giving everything else, if that's what you call us to, to have you and to know you more fully. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.